0: Um, I think living on mission is actually just being available and being, um, just being a servant wherever you are. One of the things that I um, love is actually being able to do that through my job here at Highland as the receptionist. You know, I never get to choose who I um, get to minister to, it, it simply depends on who walks through the door or who um, is on the other end of the line of the phone. And um, one of my favorite things to do is just to put value on people and make a mark for the Lord um, um, in people and let them know that they are known and seen and that um, they matter. And one of the other ways that I do that is praying for people over the phone. I also like to send um, text messages whenever I think of somebody you know, I'll just say, you know, I'm thinking about you this week, or I hope you have a wonderful day, or just something really simple like that, and letting people know that they're loved. Um, Another thing that um, I love to do is just to remember that um, part of my um, commission as a woman of God is to love God and love people, and we don't, we don't necessarily get to choose whether they get there in a in a good mood or in a bad mood we get to partner with the holy spirit and really speak to them and um we get to um let them know that whatever they're facing um they they are loved and seen and known and so i just i hope that with every day no matter what it brings, that I live on mission and, and that I live commissioned for the Lord.
1: The reading of the word from Ephesians six thirteen through 18. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then, which is the word of god and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all of the lord's people the word of the lord
2: good morning highland i hope you are staying warm and cozy in your living rooms this morning i'm sorry that we can't be together but i I believe that this is the safest thing that, that we all can do. We're in our last uh, sermon of a series called It's Kind of a Big Deal. And, and I want us to kind of think back and over the places that we covered in the last six weeks. We began by thinking and talking about your confidence. Your confidence is kind of a big deal that because we have security in heaven, because we know the end of the story doesn't end with death, but in the glorification of Jesus Christ and God making all things new, we don't have to act in fear. And then we talked about your identity, that your identity in Christ is kind of a big deal. And there's a lot of things that are going to try to threaten your identity and tell you lies about who you are. But instead, we turn ourselves and we turn our hearts and our minds to hear what Jesus says. And we'll listen to who God says we are. Then we looked at our God is kind of a big deal. Our church, as Randy said uh, three weeks ago, we we look to Jesus and we act like Jesus. And last week, we discussed how our purpose, what we're here to do, your reason for being is kind of a big deal. And this week, we're going to think about our mission, and I, and I want to think about your mission in terms of like the flow of of your your day and the rhythm of your week. That there are there are many competing voices that are going to to conflict and and, and contradict and challenge who we are and what we do. Andrew Root tells a story about winning the lottery, and, I, and we talked about this at the beginning of the series, and, and just recently the the lottery. The mega millions got to mega billion. Uh, that's a lot of commas to, to have after your name if you won that lottery. And and he was talking about another time where the lottery was a crazy high number, and he was in an airport, and the per- two people in front of them began to talk about what would happen if you won the lottery. And both of them said, well, i never play the lottery. That's not anything I would ever do. But for a billion dollars, I'm going to play it. And because you know, and So they went in with office pools, and they, they each put in $20 because they didn't want to get left behind if everybody else in the office won the lottery and everyone quit all at once. Because they said, for certain, I'm going to quit. If I win that much money, I'm not working another day in my life. And then one of them asked the other, well, what would you do with that kind of money? And the second one said, well, I would, I would rest. Man, I would put my feet up on the couch. I would eat chocolates and I would watch TV. That's what I would do if I won that money. I would never have to work hard again. And Root thinks about how that there's a relationship between time and money. It was Benjamin Franklin that said time is money. And that seems true for us in our lives, right? The reason that you work hard is so that you can have enough money so that you can have more time. And if you don't work hard, and if you aren't making money, then you're not going to have be able to do the things that you want to do with your free time. And so it seems ironic that the answer to more time, to rest, to be with friends, to do what you want, can only be more money. And Andrew is, is thinking about this as he's listening to these two people talk, and then you know, the, one of the women, uh, she says, you know what I would do, though? I don't know if I would spend the whole my whole rest of my life not working. That, I think that's going to get pretty boring after a while. But you know what I would do? She said, I would make sure that there was not a cat or a dog that was homeless in the Twin Cities. And Andrew's Root's eyes just kind of lit up in that moment because she realized the truth that— That the, the cure for the question of wealth, of our time, and our talent wasn't in the number of commas in our bank account, but in our purpose, in our mission. And that woman had found her mission. And Root reflected, so should the church. Because the reality is, brothers and sisters, that we have given, we've been given the billion dollar solution to answer the question, what should you do with the rest of your life? And this question is just as relevant regarding the rest of your life as it is for college students and retirees. Both of us have, all of us have, only have the rest of our lives. And we don't know how long that's going to be, but it does not matter because we have the billion dollar answer. And we need to have the moral vision to understand the reason why we engage in the mission of God. And the reality is, is the only way you fail at this, the only way that you fail in mission as as part of the body of Christ, is if you make your own self-preservation your sole priority. That's the only way that we fail at this. If we confuse ourselves to think that our job, our mission in this world, is to make sure that these Highland church doors never close under any circumstances when we have to achieve anything to get there, then we are absolutely going to fail. No one else is attracted to a story or a vision that's all about you. And if self-preservation is our goal, then everyone else becomes an obstacle or an enemy. But... If our mission, if our goal is to serve others, and we aren't doing it to make a name for ourselves, but we do it to, in the name of Jesus, then everyone becomes our ally and anyone is a friend. Another way to say that is uh, the church is the only institution, it's the only organization that exists purely for the people outside of the institution. We're the only organization in the world. And as long as we keep our mission, that that's our goal, that that's what we're here to do, that's how we're going to spend the rest of our lives, then we cannot fail in the mission of joining God and bringing about his kingdom throughout the world. And this is what Jesus means when he calls us to lose our lives for the sake of the kingdom because that's the only way that we can save our lives. And we are saving it from the veil of sloth, we are saving it from the frenetic insecurity of self-preservation or from the exhaustion of that treadmill that we run when we try to achieve righteousness on our own. The only way that we can save our lives is by losing it. And so Paul as he's writing to the Ephesians, he's writing he's probably writing this book in some sort of house arrest. And he's, he's probably in Rome and he's waiting for his, his trial. And, and as he's looking out the door, he can probably see two Roman soldiers that are watching him. Everyone else in the Roman world would recognize a Roman soldier as they guarded the city gates, as they, they patrolled the streets and the market. And you knew they were a soldier, a Roman soldier, because of the way that they were dressed. And there's lots of connections that that we could make alongside Paul as he's imagining this soldier outside of his door and and imagining the pieces of equipment that a Christian needs to equip their mission. You could talk about the shoes, they were called uh, caliga, which had these little metal hobnails on the bottom of their soles. This is what made Roman uh, foot soldiers different than the rest of the world because it had these little nails. They were kind of like cleats, so it gave them better traction as they were moving around on rough terrain. And he calls that the gospel of peace. You can think about the breastplate of righteousness that protects your heart or the helmet of salvation that guards your mind, the belt of truth that kind of keeps all these other pieces tied together the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. And I don't know how far you want to go to chase that kind of metaphor. Uh, I think Paul takes it to an appropriate length. And at some point, every metaphor breaks down. But for instance, a Roman sword was only about two feet long. It was a very different weapon than the Greco spear that could be thrown or have kind of this eight-foot reach. You had to get downright intimate with someone else when you wanted to use a Roman sword. And I think there's something about that's the way how the Spirit works. Like I said, I don't, I don't know how far you want to go in, in the analogy. But I want to make two points here. The, pers- the first point I want to make is that how painfully obvious it would be if a soldier left part of their kit at home and showed up to work. I mean you could imagine on the stage we'd have one of the, the students that play football here at Highland at, at Abilene High or Cooper come up on stage and they're they're missing a part of their equipment. You could imagine if if a football player went out onto the field without their helmet, how quickly someone would point that out because they could be injured or killed. You can imagine that football player forgetting to put on their shoulder pads or the other things that protect their body, the shoes that allow them to move quickly across the field and how ineffective they would be without all of their equipment. The kit of a soldier was one thing that was all tied together. You couldn't just put on salvation and go out throughout your day. You can't leave the breastplate of righteousness off of your body and expect to battle the evil one. You need all of these pieces together in order to join in God's mission. The second point is very similar. And it's, it's, a, it's a military tactic that was developed by the Greeks but really perfected by the Romans. The Romans ended up taking those tactics and using them against the Greeks for victory. It was the, the phalanx. It was this military formation that that soldiers would do where shields would interlock with one another. And, And the Roman shield was different than the Greek shield. The Greek shield tended to be round and protected your chest. A Roman shield was a large square. And the wall that the Roman shields would make when they were all placed together and then two rows behind you, someone else would put a shield above your head to protect you from the arrows. Soldiers never fought alone. And neither do we. The Christian mission is a Christian mission of community, that we all go together and we support one another. I love the way that that Mike called faith, when when he intubated faith, it felt like when he couldn't breathe on his own, that others would breathe that spirit into him. And I think that touches in a similar way to what Paul is talking about here, that the shields of faith which guard our hearts and our minds and our bodies from the flaming arrows of the evil one they're meant to be used together. This is part of why we're doing uh, the, the movement right now of, of urging you to connect with somebody here at Highland. We have been so disconnected for so long. We have been out this at this for almost a year. And for some of you, you haven't been in this room for almost a year or maybe even more. And I, I promise you, when you come back, you're going to feel something powerful when you walk into this room when you've finally been able to gather back with your brothers and sisters, whether that's a vaccine or you finally become comfortable for whatever the reason, when you decide to come back, it's going to feel, you're going to feel something powerful. Because we were never meant to fight alone. We were always meant to fight together. And that's part of why we're doing Connect With One, so that you can reach out and begin to to rekindle, to, to regrow those connections with each other. I think we get confused when we talk about mission and we imagine our mission being some sort of specialized career where you're called to spend time overseas or building houses in Mexico or, or traveling to visit an orphanage. And that's, that's an important expression of what mission looks like. But not all, all of us engaged in our mission are missionaries. And, and short-term mission isn't the only expression of what missions looks like in your life. Now, I think those missionaries are very important to the kingdom of God. But I would akin those missionaries to be something like a, a highly trained, efficient Green Beret. They're, they're kind of the Navy SEALs of, of kind of the military analogy that we're chasing uh, with, with Paul today. They are specialized troops with specialized training. But every soldier is engaged in the same mission to accomplish the tasks. And by the way, most missionaries, when you talk to them, when they, when they talk about when they're called to be missionaries, when they talk about when, they're, when they feel that urge inside of them that God is calling them to do something very important, most of them are between the ages of 12 and 18 when they first hear that voice. And that says something about what we're doing now in our community here. Are we training up young missionaries? Are we providing them with the vision and the opportunity and the the means to see what God might be doing in their lives. We need to be training all of us together to be be good soldiers that are willing to engage in standing against the devil's schemes, but some of us are called to something more. And we as a church ought to be doing our jobs to do that. I think the problem with us understanding our mission, our mission as a church, is, is seen as seen as those special forces are just kind of that short-term mission trip, is that we're confusing the army with the reserves. Now, I have deep respect for both of those groups. The army serves uh, to, to defend the people and to, to advance the national interests. The reserves, however, are kind of part-time army. There used to be a commercial that said, Join the reserves. One weekend a month, and two weekends, two weeks a year. There are no reservists in the Lord's army. Your life is your mission. It's the place where God has called you. And look at the work of the early disciples. They reasoned and they argued. They displayed the fruit of the Spirit. They were the best citizens they possibly could be. Their family members, uh, they were the best, even their slaves they could be. And they had a peculiar gospel for the time and the place that they lived. Christians are different. It's the same thing that Jesus did. John 17 tells us all about Jesus' mission, to tell the truth about God, to reveal God's glory, and to return to the Father. Jesus came to earth because our actions. We wanted to call the shots and make our own path apart from God because we wanted to live our lives for our own glory. And we wanted to substitute God's throne for our own. And so God came to earth. And because we substituted ourselves for God, God substituted himself for us. And so we join him in the mission to restore the world. And here at Highland, that looks like restoring Highland and restoring our city, loving Abilene, and keeping our eyes abroad and abreast to everything else that we can do to restore the world. And this is how you know you're in that sweet spot when you're doing the mission that God has called you. There is joy in your work. There is joy that happens when you're in Christ. And Hebrew 12 says that it was for, for the sake of joy, for the sake of joy put before him, Jesus endured the cross. When you're in that sweet spot of what it means to serve others and love God, there is peace, there is security, there's love. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit, begin to reveal themselves in your life. I said this last week, but I want to say it again. Our job isn't to defeat the evil one. Your job isn't to to fight Satan, to to seduce him, or to, to submit him into some sort of chokehold. Your job is to stand. Christ has already defeated the evil one. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principality, against the systems of evil, against bad, seductive ideas that call us away from our, our original being of, of bearing the image of God. And that happens in a, in a million different ways. But since today is Valentine's Day, let's talk about that. Our, our culture um, has, a, has a skewed understanding of love. My, my favorite thing to do when I was planning uh, chapel at ACU, I did that the first couple of years I got out of grad school, was to, uh, was to schedule Randy Harris to speak on Valentine's Day. It was wonderful to see him talk about that. And there are things that are good about Valentine's Day. The idea of romance, no, being noticed, wooed, and chosen. Those are good things. But those things cannot give you worth. Romance is a wonderful feeling that overwhelms your, your system. You, you, you feel something powerful in that moment. But that's not the kind of love that God articulates in Scripture. Love in Scripture has way more to do with commitment, with loyalty, with sticking it through even when it's hard, not just when it's fun. There's nothing wrong with these things that we celebrate on Valentine's Day. But they cannot give us what we're longing to have. Only God can do that. There's a a hole shaped in our bodies that we're longing to fill. And there's a million different things you can try to stuff in there to, to make yourself feel whole, but the reality is only God can provide you with that sense of peace and joy and love. And that's what we engage in when we engage in mission. I want to tell you what this looks like when it's done well. I asked uh, Lauren Cunningham to do the, the video Uh, before the sermon series to talk about kind of her job. Because when I got here, I was, as I was learning people's names and learning around the office, and I was was sitting in the front of the office and there was a phone call, and and Lauren was the one that answered the call. And as I listened to her talk on the phone to someone that she'd never met before, someone that was clearly just interested in, in getting what they want or what they could out of the church in terms of benevolence, I saw Lauren do the most amazing and effective ministry the way she treated that person with dignity and respect, the way that she listened for them, and the way that she took someone that seemed kind of antagonistic and, and turned them into a friend, and then at the end of the call, the way that she pray, prayed for them. That was, it was amazing to watch her work and do her mission. You might, you might miss it. You might be confused that, that, that Lauren, all she does is sit at the front desk. But she is our front line in the ministry in our office. And anyone that works here at Highland will tell you how incredibly valuable she is to help us achieve our mission to restore Abilene, to love our city, and to be part of God's good mission that will change the world. And so this week, this is what I want you to do. Engage in Valentine's Day. Have a great time with it. Buy flowers. Do whatever you want. But don't lose sight of what your true mission is. Your time, your treasure, and your talent can all be engaged in learning what it means to follow God, to lean into who you are in his kingdom, and discover the truth that when you lay down your life for the sake of others, God gives it right back to you with more meaning and purpose than you could possibly imagine. And so I want to invite you to enjoy enjoying in God's mission this week. Find the joy in serving others more than you love yourself. May you see God's Spirit go before you, and may you go in peace.